AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. So, Ganesh, I, I hear you have a story about some malware for us. Yeah, that's true, Ken. This is about uh, Ragnarok, uh, which is not new. It's one of the many of the many of the ransomware we're hearing nowadays. It's been active, maybe most active since December of last time, but it came to prominent recently. I guess the last week of last month, they kind of attacked one of the energy sectors in Portugal, and they kind of accelerated a 10 terabytes worth of data. And they demanded about 1,580 bitcoins, which is roughly equivalent to 11 million US dollars. And that's how they got prominent recently. How does they they work? Basically, as we all know, any any ransomware typically uses RDP, Windows RDP, right? It looks for open RDP to gain access uh, to the get the access to the domain controller from the they try to basically propagate within the network using different techniques. Like in this case, so the Ragnar is most prominent to use Windows PowerShell, which is built in with any Windows operating system. And it also leverages Windows group policy objects for lateral movement. And what's uniqueness or maybe new tricks it added to its arsenal is that it is using up, uh, basically using up a full virtual machines to evade detections. What they try to use is, uh, Basically, they're leveraging a, a virtual, uh, I'm sorry, Oracle virtual box with Windows XP virtual machine. They have a specific versions they're targeting it. I know basically virtual box is uh, one of the one of the prominent um, VM VMs instances out there, and it is also one of the most prominently used. What they're doing is uh, basically they have a component of uh, installer and then a virtual image. Uh, first, they will install the installer, which is about 120 meg megabytes of a size with 280 megabytes of virtual image. And but in these two things, actually, it's kind of actually sending through a ransomware executable, which is very tiny, about 50 kilobytes of a size. How is this attack being done? Once it founds a vulnerable target by means of RDP, as well as figuring out uh, which other systems are vulnerable within the system. It uses GPO, uh, Windows Group Policy Objects. It uses GPO to basically install uh, MS, MSIE executable, which is basically installing the Windows to make a silent installation of uh, some sort of packages. In this case, I think uh, the executable for the um, ransomware from a remote, remote web, uh, web server. What it does is basically this, uh, this executable will have the components needed for creating the virtual image and also staying under the radar. Uh, in this case, basically three scenarios it will come up with. Basically, a world Oracle virtual box with a hypervisor 3.04, which is, uh, uh, I guess it's more than a decade old. I think uh, it's been compiled sometime in 2009. Uh, I guess they're using it maybe with with the with the goal maybe to detect it may make it undetectable maybe people may see that you know it's not something to be to be given some sort of you know closer attention to it. Once it actually has it has certain components. It has a Windows batch script, which basically does the, all the all the things necessary for installation of the necessary files, as well as uh, virtual image disk 
preparation, all those things will be done by this batch script. Once the batch script has been done, what it does is like any other ransomware, it tries to delete the, all the victim's volume shadow copies. For instance, as, um, if it has uh, external disk, like maybe D, Z, whatever the external drives, it once it encrypts, it kind of deletes it so that it can basically cause the victims to pay them pay the ransomware to give back the money. How is that? And what is the importance of a virtual box? There seems to be the only the reason they the key on virtual box, I believe, is they have a unique feature in in the sense host operating system can share folders and drives within the network. Uh, I try to explain a little bit. For example, we all have different Windows op um, laptops or maybe Mac operating systems. What he does is with the, uh, with our with our OSs, we also have external hard disk. For example, you may have external USB. We may have a, another hard disk. What he does is uh, with this virtual box, actually they can combine all these external as well as the physical external drives into one one bubble of a virtualized, virtualized environment, and that can actually act as a bull to the infected system itself. In this sense, what's happening is, even though it's available to the ransomware, it's not seen by any, any antivirus software, any maybe security solutions, which are basically physical to the system, right? So when the systems, they try to scan for any of these artificates, it's not seen to the, these, uh, most of these services. I think that's how it's trying to hide itself and evade uh, from the security softwares to make it, uh, you know, unavailable. Maybe stay under the radar. I think uh, that, that's the that's the key factor which actually tried to put into the latest iterations of this uh, Ragnar locker. Wow. And did you say that the uh, the victims in this in this case actually paid the money or did were they able to restore from backups? Do you know? Um, no, I, I, I do not know whether they paid the money or not, but um, it came to prominent recently with which they used this technique to basically use the virtual box to get them accelerate the data and cause them to pay it. In that case, uh, um, I think it's uh, close to $11 million, but I do not know the details whether they paid it or not. Uh, and there's corresponding information about that one. The target was using RDP, so uh, um, the vulnerable entity um, had RDP open via the internet so that these uh, attackers could, um, mm -hmm. yeah, so they were exposed. And it's very telling that they're still opening RDP via the internet. Uh, it, it's um, is vulnerable yeah, yeah. to say the least, and people are still doing this. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't understand why um, <laughs> uh, in 2020 uh, they're not using like a VPN to get in and, and get into their sources and whatsoever. And so they're still keeping um, RDP open to manage their uh, platform, or manage different things within their platform. Um, yeah, so also with that being said, uh, did you mention something about uh, them taking over their DNS or domains? The use of RDP, I think it has uh, pros and cons, right? Uh, we need RDP to certain things to access, but as you said, I think uh, we always say on threat track to have defense in layer. In the case that they have to restrict it, and also 
for for any ransomware, irrespective of the type or uh, maybe what iterations they have, you need to have defense layer as well as the verified good backups. Uh, the, the only way you can get back and running again is going back to and falling back to you know good verified backups to come back to bring up bring those um, systems up. Uh, but that, uh, but I think uh, with the recent work from home scenarios, I think uh, probably probably admins as well as corporations are um, a little bit forced to lack the security controls a little bit. I think mm -hmm. that gives an opportunity to various bad actor to use ransomware to basically target them. So so keyword keyword administrators. So most most uh administrators don't think about security. They're thinking about the comfort of them being able to get into uh, their network or in platform to do manage, you know, their um, mm -hmm. servers and so forth. So they never think about security. They just want, and I always preach uh, <laughs> that uh, comfort is not security. You, you can't uh, keep wanting the comfort of, you know, being able to get be exposed over the internet uh, just for the comfort of your being able to manage your network, you should think about security at the same time. Yeah, hopefully the, the stories uh, that have the things happening around maybe give a little bit um, weight as to how how it's important to secure the networks. And also in this specific example in this Ragnet logger, I think uh, presence of any Oracle virtual box with Windows XP combination is a given a good telltale. Also, for example, you know, any any time any alert related to manipulating shadow walls, wall copies of the windows, any any of those elevated privileges, there should be some sort of alerting. I think at least there should be an alert. You know, something is happening here. Please take a look. Something like that. It may not be any security incident, but it's uh, it's always good to get that alert and then make a decision based on your analysis. I think that would be the good best practice to deal with these kind of uh, malware. Did it say, Ganesh, if the, the antivirus uh, providers have been able to, to respond to this adaptation? Antivirus in the sense in this the security software, the challenge they have is uh, because once it's in the virtual box environment, it's not seen to the physical box, right? I mean, typically right. all these security software, they sit on the physical system rather than on the virtualized ones. I think uh, they, uh, the, there are different ways they could uh, detect. For example, as I mentioned, maybe uh, Oracle virtual box related uh, files, maybe some keys, maybe those could be some indicators as well as maybe modifications to uh, these Windows group policy objects as well as uh, maybe some elevated privileges being used with the PowerShell. Those are all different things maybe the, they could be able to identify it, but um, there are not many. I have not seen many with confidence say, yeah, we could be able to identify this specific Ragnar locker. But there are like maybe eight to 10 steps which could uh, give the administrators to basically go and look through that list and maybe see and cross-check whether this happened. Oh, okay, if it's not happened, okay, what about the next one? Maybe some sort of checklist. I think uh, the onus is also on the window, uh, I mean, window system administrators as well as the corporations, uh, instead of solely relying on the security vendors to provide the detections, because there's always something new coming, right? I think it's good, good mm -hmm. to have some sort of process and alerting 
to catch up or something which is unknown at some point of time. There's always be some unknown at any point. Of time. So Ken, can you tell us about uh, the robocalls today? I came across an interesting article recently uh, stating that since really this whole worldwide pandemic of, of coronavirus started um, happening and we all are experiencing these lockdowns, that the volume of robocalls is actually way down. And I, I didn't quite realize this at first, but once once I had heard this, started to think back and said, hmm, yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten quite as many robocalls uh, lately or attempted uh, spam type calls. And as I was reading into why this might be happening, uh, I think the the vendor who offers a robocall blocking service, their name is, is Umail, they were saying that these robocalling scams or spam services, they actually run out of data centers. So just like we might have a data center or a call center, that's what's happening here. Uh, so when a lockdown goes into place in a specific area, uh, if a call center closes down, those people aren't making those, those robocalls. And then the volume uh, just took a huge plummet. They actually said uh, one country in particular, they were able to, to see that basically the day the lockdown went into effect in that country, the robocall volume uh, started dropping. So they had said that in the month of April uh, 2020, there were, they had detected 2.9 billion robocalls, which sounds like a lot, but they were saying year over year, so if we go back to April 2019, that count was actually 4.8 billion. So, you know, maybe almost 40% that that number decreased in the month versus the year prior. Um, now, that doesn't mean, obviously, that people aren't getting robocalls. People still are, so they need to, to be alert and that just because the credit card offer, the the extended car warranty, it's not exactly uh, what you think it is. Um, and they still said that there's there's still a fair number of complaints going to the Federal Trade Commission each month. Uh, I think they said in March it dropped, I want to say 50% though. So you can imagine then uh, people are either now more vigilant because they've been getting maybe another type of uh, robocall or spam, uh, but they're where the volume is going down. So it's very possible uh, that once we eventually come out of a lockdown in each country around the world, we'll start to see that uptick again as uh, these call centers open back up and people are able to go back and and do that job of of being the robocaller or running the, the system. That is a real interesting story, Ken. Um, I mean, just to follow up, maybe what would be the best protection set work in general with these kind of robocalls? I believe many or all of the, at least the mobile carriers, will offer uh, a service uh, if it's not built into the plan that allows you to either uh, detect or even outright block uh, what the network determines to be a robocall. Um, mm -hmm. I, I believe this, these services exist too for 
Uh, if you have a VoIP service or a plain old telephone service, uh, if you still have a copper line. Um, so there are services that are offered and at the same time, uh, companies can subscribe to services like that too. Um, and then if one of these calls does get through, just being vigilant uh, as an individual to be able to recognize, uh, is this maybe a spoof number that might be calling me? Does it look a lot like my phone number? Uh, mm -hmm. Is it what, what what can I do to try to determine uh, from my perspective? Is this worth picking up? Also, maybe don't try to give a, a personalized identifiable information, maybe anything related to some sort of information gathering. Right. Not to give. Okay. That's right. So if you even like to your point, even if you decide to pick up the phone, you know, being cautious about what you're giving information out to. Just because someone references a case number, if you don't remember opening a case with, you know, this company mm -hmm. or uh, this service, it may not be legitimate. Um, so just to, to be aware uh, is one of the, the big things in this yeah. case. So uh, I, I do uh, notice the amount of uh, uh, spam calls or spit calls that they uh, that are sent out uh, to our phones and home void networks and so forth. So I did notice that I was getting less, but I, I think that it's on an uptick now uh, <laughs> or incline of uh, callers now because they've they've already started back over the weekend last week. I started getting calls again. So. Uh, so yeah, now that things are opening up, uh, it's yeah, it's it's gonna get worse <laughs> real fast. So so um, uh, I I would say you know to um, uh, you know we have to get back to the blocking or uh, different um, software that would block these callers and. The numbers that they're calling from, because I don't think like at, at the government, do you think at the do not call level, uh, is it really working for us that we're uh, continually having to block these calls manually or having them to block them? That, do you think that's that there should be a better way of doing this? Um, I, I think, you know, some of it you can say should be done on the network level that the network should be smart enough to, to say. Something here doesn't line up, um, and I've seen that this number or this uh, IP, maybe if it's if it's a, a VoIP call, is right. originating or has some type of upticked volume uh, to be able to make that determination. Um, and as far as something like like the do not call, you know, in a lot of these cases, the people who are making these calls aren't located in the United States. Right. Uh, so un unless they're fearful of breaking a U.S. law in another country. Uh, they they might still continue to do it, uh, but I believe I have seen recently there have been cases where uh, arrests and attempted or successful extradition have happened uh, for people running these types of operations. And I've noticed um, these call centers, even located in the United States. Uh, in the uh, West Coast or up in, I think it was in Portland area, something like so, that uh, these call centers, they were, you know, domestic in the United States, not so much international as well, um, that they were, you know, um, disbanded. 
they're everywhere, unfortunately, and then where there's a way to apparently make a buck, then there's yeah. an opportunity for, for something to, to go awry there. Exactly. Hey, Kim. I heard you, you, have, you have a story about hoax cause botnet, which is trying to exploit some sort of a web gateway vulnerabilities, basically targeting uh, new victims. Could you elaborate a little bit on that story? Uh, yes, yes. So the, the hoax call botnet has been um, uh, targeting recently um, the secure, semantic secure web gateway, which is already end of life. And it was end of life uh, five years ago and support ended in 2019. So this goes back to uh, having vulnerable perimeter devices. HoaxNet was uh, also targeting uh, recently about a, a couple of months ago back in March, it was targeting um, the Zizel, I can't pronounce it well, but uh, the Secu manager um, to um, um, infiltrate that particular uh, the parameter device and so forth. And so uh, with, with this secure web gateway, um, like I said, it was um, end of life. This, this particular botnet would, you know, uh, proxy the traffic, download updates and so forth. Even during that particular uh, device restarts, this botnet would stay um, at a stateful, uh, rest so that uh, it wouldn't go down. It would continue to to to, to denial of service, um, uh, send out denial of service attacks. It will send out uh, the uh, in order to target the secure email. Uh, sorry, secure web gateway for Semantic. Uh, it would send out HTTP request or POST request uh, with a certain string and um, to uh, execute. And so with um, and the researchers that, that found this uh, noticed that the binaries that were packaged for this botnet uh, used uh, UPX, which is a, an open source packer for executables. So they would use a four byte, um, uh, a four byte key um, to it, within the source code, because since it's an open source, you can manipulate it the way, however you want it to. And uh, a lot of malware is, uh, is uh, developed using this packer, the UPX, because it can, you know, it, since it is open source, there's no, you know, boundaries uh, as to what they can do with it. So another thing is to, um, uh, to point out, um, this is like a, a deviation of the Mirai source code as well, this uh, hoax call. Uh, the difference between um, the malware that, that happened with it, it, it was not DDoS uh, capable, right? The Mirai variant didn't have DDoS capabilities, but this one has D, uh, DDoS capabilities, right? Um, so, yeah, so this is, um, yeah, so this is just a, a common, um, uh, botnet getting into your perimeter, uh, targeting, you know, uh, targeting um, the vulnerabilities or, of your perimeter. So a lot of people are, aren't upgrading their malware, their perimeter firewalls, certain things that is supposed to guard your perimeter. Uh, a lot of people are not or administrators of those devices 
are not keeping them up to date and to have something that's five years end of life is 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 mm-hmm. and it's not going to be updated so uh, when they went the researchers went back to talk to semantic they said that they are not going to be upgrading those devices so they'll have to upgrade to a newer version of the uh, secure web gateway i mean uh, there's so many iot partners that I, I believe we see almost every day, maybe every other week, some new partner basically trying to leverage the source code from the right. And there are so many variants of it. Um, I think, yeah, Mirai is known to use UPX as well as it also has various capabilities like Jira's um, capability as well as using various IoT devices or maybe router kind of devices. I think in this case, it's using the secure gateway as basically one of those devices. And it's being a part of the gateway, it gives you much more visibility into the number of devices, even though there might be one, one secure gateway. But behind that gateway, there might be other devices they can leverage to basically recruit into the partner. Yes, definitely, definitely. And it depends on how it's configured, you know? Uh, it depends on how it's configured and, and what they're actually, um, you know, uh, targeting, but they're using it, the botnet as, uh, you know, as uh, to 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 sit there and you know spark these DDoS um, mm-hmm. and uh, attacks, and also uh, it you know stops you know any reboots from happening of the device, and so it pretty much takes over. And uh, one other thing is that uh, it only uh, this is a post execution botnet right uh, or post i'm sorry post authentication botnet mm-hmm. um is that you know you have to be authenticated to this device before it can do anything right so it's not that it you know it's it's a real you know it's not that 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 the the extreme vulnerability is that um it's uh end of life or it has no um uh, bug updates and so forth, their vulnerability updates to it. It's it's just that it it has that particular um, vulnerability where you can get in via ex, you know authentication and this botnet and it it targets the actual authentication vulnerability of the secure gateway and the firmware that it's running, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And and that's how it it executes. It's a post uh, post authentication botnet. Yeah, I think nevertheless, since the vendor already said there's no support and end of life, it's prudent to basically replace those devices with uh, much more modern and secure alternatives. Yeah, you've had five years, uh, right, to to come up with the plan to, to update it. So I guess it might be a little bit more of an expedited request to do mm-hmm. because, like, like you said, Ganesh, this might be used as a way in the doorway, you know, you, mm-hmm. You get your arm in the crack of the door, and now you can open it and see what else is there, and uh, potentially then wreak havoc. So it it definitely sounds like the, the takeaway is to upgrade those devices. Um, and so yeah, so uh, if they're wanting, if uh, the the company that that was targeted, um, they would have to upgrade. Uh, their devices to the latest 5.28 uh, version of Semantic Web Gateway. Otherwise, Semantic is not supporting um, that vulnerability. They're not going to up, you know, send out a, you know, an mm-hmm. update or whatever. Yeah.
Uh, good afternoon. Uh, let's look at uh, last week's uh, top 10 most ports, which we are looking at our common backbones. But there are some little bit deviations, and in the sense, basically, I think uh, the volumes are maybe the number of top ports, maybe its corresponding values have dropped a little bit. When I said a little bit dropped in the sense because of uh, the long weekend we have, the extra day off, I think that kind of it, it's, uh, it's most of the folks are not working and the volumes are definitely much, much lower compared to typical Friday week. The number one port for uh, last week uh, ending yesterday was 23 TCP, which we know is a telnet port, and 445, which is SMB, 1433, uh, there's no change basically since last week it stayed there at the number four position and number five is the three three eight nine i think with one of the stories kim you have a question about rdp i think this is the port responsible for rdp connections but since last week it kind of jumped three positions to number five position this week uh, the sixth position we have sss port 22 followed by 81 which is uh, alternate HTTP are sometimes used by most of the botnets. Um, I typically tend to see if any scanning an 81 TCP, which is probably by one of the Satori-based botnets. And Kim, actually, again, that Satori is one of the offshoots for Mirai-based source code. I think that's one of the big examples which came out of Mirai source code leak. And followed by 443, uh, 123 is uh, for NTP, Network Time Protocol, UDP. Uh, this has been a while since 123 UDP came up in the top ports. And with the port 80 TCP, which kind of wraps up our top 10 most probed ports for this week. Well, it's interesting, Ganesh. I'd be actually kind of interested to see, like with, with RDP and, and NTP, how you know, you, you said oh, we had the, the long weekend. If we looked back last week, if we actually were able to get the, the volumes, um, is it comparable to, you know, you pretty much just lost a seventh of it, or was it maybe there was uh, an uptick in, or not even so much an uptick, but just that the scanning remained consistent, and so it kind okay. of bumps the volume up versus something else? That's a great question, Ken. Uh, I don't have the corresponding slides or the graphs to support it, but what I have seen, I'll try to explain. With respect to 3389 RDP port, there is not difference in the volumes in the sense per se last week and the maybe week prior that week. But the only reason it kind of bumped up is because of um, the lack of uh, one day. I think that kind of adjusts our threshold a little bit. I think that's the reason it, it is showing the three, three points jump in the position this week. And 123 UDP, which is typically very low volume port, uh, while we were looking at our common backbone, it's typically used for you know, synchronization of time zones. Uh, right. But the only, yeah, even here in the also very slight variation in that the changes basically jumped up this propositioning to ninth position. Other than that, I did not see any anything related to security events or not, but there is definitely jump from the previous weeks. And then moving on to the more source probing. The sources, typically the, uh, the sources probing is basically 
most oftentimes can be related to some sort of botnet activity, maybe some sort of uh, vulnerability. These devices are looking for some vulnerability to um, um, basically uh, put it into their arsenal to look for uh, these vulnerable devices. Okay, in this case, uh, there, uh, there are many quotes here, top 10, but uh, I, I kind of pointed out to maybe top four. But the first one is for, for TCP. It's been constant for um, not weeks, many months. So typically, it takes maybe top three positions, depending upon the change in the position of the some new port or not. But for, for TCP, typically stays there at the number one position. 23 TCP, which is again tenlet, and it's also heavily used by all the botnets, more or less all the botnets. For by default, they look for or maybe scan for port 23 as well as 22 TCP. But the scanning typically tends to be on higher and 23. The only reason is uh, between 23 and 22, 23 is uh, plain text, right? I think uh, which is easier to crack and may basically own those devices. That basically gives much more pre precedence to 23 compared to 22. But doesn't mean uh, 22 is la lagging behind. Even the bad actors are after 22 to gain foothold to those devices which is followed by 80 TCP. Um, again, HTTP traffic and 53 UDP. Uh, 53 UDP is a typical of DNS, uh, DNS port, but it's interesting to see UDP. Uh, I suspect this is, the interest is due to, uh, I think last week, uh, the sum of the research, a few researchers actually come up with a new DDoS technique with the um, DNS domain name system. But I, I think, uh, I guess that this might be related to the jump in activity related to 53 UDP might be related to that uh, attack paper. And uh, actually we are still further analyzing it. I think uh, hopefully we'll have a very compelling story for next time with, with respect to just 53 UDP itself, how the traffic is shaping up with respect to that uh, specific study done by those researchers. And 8291 uh, at the seventh position, which is also one of the top ports we typically see uh, in the past few months. And it is, uh, I think it's dropped this week to by six points. But again, 1433 TCP, which is related to MS SQL, jumped in the spike, which is wrapped up by 443 CP, is a secured version of HTTP. And again, at number 10 is 22 TCP, which is kind of a rounds of our top 10 more sources for this week. I have a few graphs for some of these ports to explain what we are seeing with respect to from a common backbone. The first one, uh, I skipped 440 TCP because we've been talking about 440 TCP for almost every week. This time I want to just concentrate on 22 TCP and see if there's really any difference here. Uh, excuse me for that uh, typo there in Telnet. Uh, but the, the first graph is basically showing the 30 days worth of data, how many scan sources are happening per hour. In this case, uh, around, it's averaging around 35 to 40,000 uh, scan sources per hour. As you can see in the last week, and basically it kind of jumped a little bit. But pretty much if you look back, I think uh, I feel like the cut, the traffic is maybe the number of sources on this specific port is almost constant. So with that assumption, I tried to look for looking back like the past 90 days. 
when you look back beyond 30 days and going back into 60 and 90 days, you can see basically the number of sources on this could basically drop from the previous levels. For example, sometime in mid-February, there were around 55,000 cancers per hour. And if you look at in the past week, the kind of hovering around an average 42 to 45,000 per hour. So in reality, there's a drop in actually number of scanners happening, scanning activity happening on this specific port. So this, this, uh, this kind of goes with your question, can, uh, are we showing, you know, seeing any increase, real increase in the activity? No, it's not really in, increase in activity, but the, the way we, we calculate our rankings from the last week, that kind of bumping up the uh, scanning activity. That's all. And this is the same for this specific telnet portals. And moving on to this is looking at the how geographically these scan sources are distributed. For example, the darker the yellow, the more concentration of the sources in the region. As you can see, we can we can quickly we can quickly say it's mostly concentrated in Asia Pac heavily and a little bit of concentrations in North American and uh, South American regions. But while looking at some of the, some of the reports for the scan sources, there, there are also some mix of uh, regular internet scanners. I mean, there is some sort of uh, uh, the scanners from honeypots as well as some security researchers. They also do the scanning every time. I mean, we all know an open internet, any port can be scanned and it just takes a few minutes to be scanned by it anybody else. It just gives a different perspective how the geographical distribution of the scanners are out there. This is about, uh, again, our HTTP port, which is also one of the top ports for this week. Uh, also, it's also targeted by IoT botnet. Again, I started looking at the past 30 days of uh, scanning activity, and it pretty much basically almost stayed constant. In fact, actually, it's a little bit lower compared to the previous uh, few weeks. Again, uh, I, I went back uh, 365 days in this case to see if there is any trend or not. And pretty much, I think, uh, it seems to be in line with what we are seeing in the past one year, but at a much, much lower level compared to last 365 days. And again, next port I have is uh, about 1433 TCP. 1433CP is typically used by MySQL, and also it's also often targeted for uh, weak SQL, uh, weak passwords. I mean, basically, if you have access to the database, you have access to additional avenues. But as you can see, within the past 90 days, even though the activity seems to be higher and on top of our charts this week, but if you look back 90 days, basically, the activity is much, much lower. And I just want to point that uh, the difference here in this graph, like uh, around April timeframe, mid-April timeframe, when we talked, there was a big spike in here. And then the, after that, it kind of tapered down. And what was that activity like? And we have some sort of uh, honeypot data, which we can pivot a little bit sometimes to figure it out what's really happening. Typically, um, port 1433 in the past has been used by the moon worm, which is a very old worm, but that's one of the worms heavily used, used by 1433. But looking at our data, basically, if you look at uh, the, two, the two things here, uh, HTTP get evokes about a 
basically it's related to uh, some sort of HVAC related system. I think uh, there were some scans related to this specific type of uh, HVAC manufacturer in addition to another one HNAB, which is basically, again, I think uh, IoT kind of uh, behavior. Uh, I think it's, it's an interesting tidbit in the sense, uh, though, Although they were they're scanning and 1433, they're specifically looking for some sort of um, HVAC-related systems, which is not related to database. I think uh, that's a quick tidbit. I think interesting point to drive, drive point maybe. They may be using different ports for uh, different scanning techniques to just stay below the radar. So um, uh, what, what do you think that um, SMB is, is number one? What do you think is, is it? because of windows or with, um, you know, everyone being moved to home and they're looking targeting windows. Uh, with respect to Kim, you, I think uh, you're asking about uh, port 445, right? Right. Uh, I don't believe it's anything to uh, related to working from home, but, uh, but that's the way how um, Basically, SMB works, right? I think uh, operating systems, that's how they try to talk with each other. Um, and that happens to be like similar to 3389 in this case, because I'm bringing up 3389. We discussed a little bit about 3389. Um, for connectivity and different things, actually, this port needs to be open. And there are higher chances if somebody wants to leverage some sort of foothold into some any of the networks. There are higher chances this port might be open, and mm -hmm. even though the scanning activities top up on the high, it doesn't mean uh, all those scanners are basically successful in getting infiltrated into some sort of network. But there's an opportunity to look for any vulnerable devices based on their what kind of scanning they're signing it. I hope uh, I could able to explain a little <laughs> bit better. <laughs> It's fine. So, uh, so these are only the scans that it wasn't that they were successful. It's just that they were proposed that they were probing and scanning. It's not that yes. they were eventually yes. successful, right? And mm -hmm. we do not know based on the just the graphs whether they are successful or not. That would be determined, and if we could able to dig a little bit deeper and observe, observe the traffic, you know what happening, what kind of response they get. And maybe from there, you, you may figure it out they may have some vulnerable version of SMB version, not V3, maybe they could be V1, V2. And also, please don't forget, I think 445 was heavily targeted by WannaCry when it, when it came like a few years ago. And unfortunately, there are still systems out there, like you said, like the port 3389 is open. There are so many systems out there with vulnerable versions of SMB. And right. that's what uh, these guys are after. It's interesting when you take the the top ten and mm -hmm. scale it out on the pie chart. You know just how much of a disparity there is from, say, the number ten port, so port twenty two TCP, and that top rank of four four five TCP. Um, mm -hmm. So it really kind of lends to just how much you see of, of some of these top, top ports in the, in the probing uh, versus, you know, as you get down maybe seven through 10, they look a little similar in size, maybe, maybe, you know, 
12 to 15 have that similar ranking. So it's uh, in terms of scale. So it's just it's just interesting to see, um, you know, kind of the disparity between some of these top ports and some of the uh, lower in the top 10 ports. Uh, yeah, that's a really good observation, Ken. I think uh, that that's the whole point to put it in uh, some sort of graphical to drive the point. I think uh, even though other is a bigger chunk, uh, but uh, um, when you're looking be beyond 10 ports, which are comes beyond top 10, they kind of groups together into the other other bin. It's not necessarily other is big, but it, it's just a culmination of so many other ports other than the top 10. The one that kind of stood out to me in this in this list was the the drop on 8291 TCP uh, mm -hmm. from you know although it it was number one last week and now it's down in number yeah. uh, seven so it's yeah. it's interesting to see you know how much that that's gone down well not Actually, necessarily yeah. gone down but uh, mm -hmm. relative to the other ports. Yeah, the change in position is always key too. I think uh, that that's what actually change column will tell you about. I think uh, if I if I remember correctly, maybe last week, maybe la, la, prior to last week, with respect to eight two nine one TCP, eight two nine one came from nowhere. I think it jumped about hundred plus positions to come up to the top for one or two. So when you see some that's uh, that sort of. Uh, change in the table that gives you a clear indication something is going on. And that clearly most often times it's something related to some unknown vulnerability, maybe some new botnet, maybe new or old botnet trying to come up with new techniques to find out the devices which are open to for this board. I think uh, that, 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 that's the whole point to giving this uh, graph with the changes to drive the point. And hopefully that gives us a better detections to basically come up with some solutions to detect again those kind of scans, maybe some sort of experience. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.